Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, guys, what is going on? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome to the Foolishness Podcast, episode 105. I think I'm correct in that. The goal is to make Christ known, to bring guests on, to have testimonies, to have teachings. So I'm very excited today. I didn't know how my day was going to play out, but I got an email very early in the morning saying, yes, can we do the podcast today? So I'm going to introduce to you a friend of mine that I've known about for many years, if familiar with his son, actually been to our church, is local, just 20 minutes south, but who has a powerful testimony, an amazing ministry. So, Dr. Warner Wallace, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for uh, including me. I, yeah, I have been to church with and, and seen you uh, there preach at the church, and I, I'm going to hate this. I can't even say... Let's put it this way. We, we, we love it. On the, I don't want to say any more, right? But we love it when you're there preaching. We enjoy uh, listening to you. So you can understand what I'm saying. You're not, you're not trying to interpret these tongues, no? No, you know how this is. If you're in America and you have an accent like you have, yeah. you've already given like 14 IQ points, right? You already automatically have like 14 to 100 <laughs> IQ points more than the rest of us yeah. because we just look at accents and we like, do you hear our accent or not? Oh yeah, I hear America. And you know, you've probably never seen me do outreach, but when I go to a skate park or like a university, I'm like, what do I have in there? Or like an accent. I'm like, actually... You're a bunch of Americans trying to speak what language? And they're all like, English. I'm like, well, you're the ones with the accent. You know, the truth will yeah. set you free. If I don't say it, they will not listen to anything I say. Like, they can't get over the way I sound. But I'd like to think, you know. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and that's my reason to God. I say, Lord, if you send me back to England, they're going to think I sound silly. Like, I want to be yank. But if I stay here, I can maybe, you know. Yeah. get to yeah, a yeah. level of a Charlie Spurgeon or um, maybe Alistair Begg, you know, the, the Scottish Paul McCartney. So. Hey, so let me ask you that. Yeah, let me ask you this then. So um, you know how we associate certain um, like uh, priorities and certain uh, attributes to accents. Mm -hmm. When you hear our accent, an American yeah. accent, like, 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 you know how sometimes if you have a Southern accent in America, yeah. like people will somehow think that you're like less edgy. I've known people who have PhDs, yeah. super smart people yeah. <laughs> who are brilliant philosophers, but they have Southern accents. And yeah. I just know that for a lot of the country, they're listening to that and thinking, well, this guy can't, like we have yeah. a pejorative view mm -hmm. of accents, right? So tell me, yeah. do you listen to our accent and do you think, oh, these are a bunch of hillbillies? Well, I listen to you and I hear a CSI style detective because you've got the suit on and the plaque looks professional. <laughs> and I feel like I could get interviewed by you and be intimidated. But, you know, I just grew up loving America, looking at the culture. It's almost probably laughable to you, but in the 90s and 2000s, you know, I'm 42 today, at the time when Married with Children and The Simpsons and the WWF hit England, mm. all I wanted to be was in America. So little did I know, for those viewers who are joining, maybe have no idea who I am, but are checking on Dr. Wallace, I was a skateboarder for years. I fell in love with America. I made it over here. God saved me, you know, in an amazing way in 2004. So I just love America. I'm a citizen, went through it all. I've got three yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I, but I do want to intro you properly as well. So no I know we're connected. I could tell we could just go for hours with this. But for those tuning in, I am speaking with an author, a speaker, 
a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, and a junk professor of apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Southern Eastern Seminary. You've authored many books, such as Cold Case Christianity, God's Crime Scene, Forensic Faith, and but you're probably most known to many that I know for being on Dateline, featured mm. as a cold case detective. And I know we're going to jump into it later, but you've just finished a book, Person of Interest. Is that out yet or ready for pre-order? Or Yeah, it's pre-order. It's out on September 21st. Maybe yeah. by the time we're actually, you know, people are watching and yeah. catching up, that it'll be ready. But I'll say this, um, you are the kind of preacher to me, I'd say, as far as, as an English guy, we have Charlie Darwin on our money. Um, as an English guy, we're someone that look at evolution as fact. So I came to America as an unbeliever. The kind of content you were putting out, the challenge, the norm, answers the questions, um, does the hard work. This is something I want to send to my dad, to family members who aren't believers. So if you're listening, tune into what we're going to get into because you're going to come back some amazing things. But for the public, just listen. What was your line of work? What does that mean to be a cold case detective? Well, that just means you're assigned to your, I mean, I was assigned to robbery homicide and hmm. all cold cases are murders. There are, yeah. you know, to be cold, I mean, most statute, well, every crime except for murder has a statute of limitations. So at hmm. some point, you know, if you don't solve that robbery in X number of years, depending on where you are, um, that's going to close. You, you only yeah. go after people for so long, but murder's hmm. different. Murders stay open forever. So if you've got, you know, information, yeah. I always look at it and say, hey, as long as witnesses are still alive. I mean, I've, I've solved cases where the suspect's been dead for 15 years. Yeah, but, I've seen you know, some of the just, awards you got and some yeah. of the, the levels that this is. So they lay these things on your desk and say, okay, detective, what can you do with this? You go in there, you go to what's already cold because it's dead. Yeah, yeah. You dig up the evidence. You've got a, a mind that puts things together. And then, how, I mean, this was how many years of your life? Like, like well, three or four I mean, decades? I, I, I did it around, around 12, probably. I mean, I can't remember if it was 12 or... Let's put wow. it this way. We we had to, I was working homicide when yep. we all had these old cold cases as collateral duties. But to be honest, we were all like buried with our usual case work. And if a fresh homicide pops up tomorrow, yeah. I got to work the fresh homicide, right? I can't like be like caught mm -hmm. up in one. This is immediate. Someone's going to jail. Yeah. yeah. Someone's got to be, it's, it's, and you have a better chance of solving a crime like that if you're working in the first year, right? Mm. The first, actually the first couple of days. But yeah. the point is, um, so I just had a, as collateral duties for a long time. But then at some point, we did a long stint where mm. we had uh, founded a, a detail specifically for cold cases. And then I had a, a nice run in that detail. I had partners that I had, had consistently. Mm. It was just more helpful to do it that way. But I'll tell you that th those are cases that are typically lame to begin with because yeah. that's why they were cold and unsolved. They didn't have yeah. a lot of good pieces to the puzzle back then. And it really yeah. is not a matter so much of <laughs> like being a brilliant kind of, of um, insightful person as much as it is just kind of being creative yeah. and looking in places that other people um, didn't think they'd ever find anything there, so they didn't bother. Mm. So it's sometimes about being tenacious and, uh, and and looking in places you think, oh, that's going to take a lot of work to look over there. But, you know, I, I yeah. think I, I'm going to be here 40 hours yeah. this week, so I might as well look <laughs> over there. And then the other thing is being creative about where is it you would look in the, in the first place. Hmm. Well, I know with the you know, explosion of Netflix, um, yeah. with my wife's mother being a bit sick, she'd been watching some of the stuff online. So the way we would relate is we begin to watch some of the Netflix shows. You know, we're not procrastinating, yeah. but then we go down, hang out with her, talk about it. Yeah. And one of the things that triggered in me was these like, 
the Night Stalker and yeah. the, the, the Yorkshire Ripper in England and yep, even the I've Jack the Ripper. I yep, mean, yep. they're crazy. So I think about your line of work and even my friend today, yeah. Jonathan Albaran, he works for, you know, like the IRS and he goes, man, I would love to be one of these agents. So, so you're living yeah. this life out, but while you were doing this, I mean, this is a Christian radio show, but you were an atheist, right? Well, I started off in investigations as an atheist for sure. Mm. But by the time I was in the heart of my cold cases, where I wasn't a collateral duty, it was actually like I was working them full time. That was yeah. later in my career. Well, then by that time, I was starting to, you know, I already kind of was landing in these places. Mm. But those first collateral, all the collateral stuff, yeah. I mean, look, I was 35 when I yeah. became a Christian. I just didn't have anybody. Maybe that was true for you too. I just didn't have friends that yeah. were Christians. I didn't really. I didn't really know anybody who had ever invited. But for example, we always thought afterwards, isn't it funny that no one ever invited us to church mm -hmm. growing isn't up? That's the number one reason why people go to church is because they get invited. That's right. That's it. <laughs> that's right. And so I just didn't have anyone who ever invited me, even as a kid. You know, wow. they come join our youth group. I just didn't know anybody like that. And I came from a broken home. So a lot of it, we were kind of on the move a little bit. And I was mm -hmm. never really in any one part of the city long enough to make the kinds of friends that would probably invite you to church anyway. Mm. So a lot of that was my mom and I kind of moving around a little bit. And so all in all, it, it just, it was what it was. I actually think in some ways it, it benefited me because yeah. I, I wasn't raised in a cultural setting yeah. of Christianity. So I had to kind of figure it out on my own. Yeah, and, and in some ways that that's good because it it, it it I was an adult, I had these investigative tool set anyway. Critical thinking, and I could take it seriously, right? Like it yeah. mattered to me in a way that I didn't take it for granted, right? If this is true, yeah. I knew it was going to be as C.S. Lewis always said, right? Mm -hmm. If it's not true, it's of no importance. If it's true, it's of critical, <laughs> ultimate importance. So one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Hmm. And that's what I, I discovered as I as I kind of you know sifted through this. Yeah. That, hey, this is true. This is going to change everything. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Because it's going to change everything. And sure enough, it did. <laughs> but I did see that while you were a, an officer, then while you were doing these cases, mm -hmm. it seemed like you were a good guy. Like you know, you wanted to honor this person or that person. But yeah. you did see yourself as different from those behind bars because you were like, okay, I'm I'm taking the bad off the streets and putting yeah. them behind. Yeah. So there was integrity oh, in what you were doing. But then we'll talk about that later when we you you get introduced to Christ because then it changed who you are as a person. Well, and that that can be a barrier, right? Yeah, I mean, it can be a barrier because if you think that you're the good guys and you take bad guys to jail, then you don't ever yeah. think there's a need for a savior. You're doing the right, right thing, yeah, yeah. I and mean, if, if if in the and I've had a partner of mine, I'll, I've said it before. <laughs> he would always say this. He'd say, "Jim, we're good guys. We put bad guys in jail. If there's a good God in a good heaven, we'll be there because we are good guys." Mm -hmm. Which is great logic in a sense. Yeah, but right. The heart's deceitfully wicked. I'm sure there was times exactly. to be white lies. I'm sure there was filing this or filing that that someone did. Well, and and I'll actually, tell you, I yeah. used to tell this my partner all the time. Well, look, I wish that all I worshipped was a good God. But here's mm. the problem: if there's a God powerful enough to create everything from 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 nothing, yeah. If we can say He has all power, well, then mm. then He has the power to eliminate moral imperfection. Mm. So He is a God who is morally perfect. Yeah. So here's the question: um, You might be a good guy. And I've had good days. Yeah. Have you ever had a morally perfect day? No, I've never had that. <laughs> no. So there's the standard we're measuring against, right? It's not as yeah. though I'm trying to appease and yep. be in the presence of a good God. Mm. I'm trying to uh, be in the presence of a morally perfect God. I need help yeah. with that. And yeah. that's where I think the Christian worldview has, has, a, has a good answer to a problem.
Yeah, and James says, if you sin once, you're guilty of it all. So as soon as you told one lie, as soon as you had one lustful thought, so by God's standard, but you didn't know this yet, you're doing good work as far as you're in your partner's eyes. You're an atheist. You went raised in the faith. I wasn't, and I agree with you. It is good to not have... I'm just, I mean, our kids are raised in the faith. Why? Because we're training them up in the way they should go. But to be 20 like I was and divorced mm-hmm. and overliving and say, I'm going to disprove God. And one of the first books I read was, you know, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ. Yes. It kind of was the same mindset. But for you, there you are, this critical thinker. Someone invites you to church. You go to church. You hear a sermon. What was it about that sermon that triggered the man I'm talking to today to apply this yeah. profession to the Bible? Well, I want to get to that, but you said something really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about, we have a case right now in front of a jury in downtown Los Angeles, and it's the same investigative team, the same uh, prosecutorial team, the DA's office that I worked with for years. As a matter of fact, this is the first case they are mm-hmm. now working without me. So I thought, wow, this is like, and it's taken years for them to develop this case. They are in closing arguments today. So wow. I've just kind of been helping them with the closing <laughs> arguments. But during the testimony, the defendant got up on the stand and admitted that he had lied several times over the last several years. And so the, 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 now the prosecutor is not a Christian. Yeah. And the prosecutor says, okay, well, you've, how many times have you lied? Well, the guy ended up saying, like, I think five times he said he had lied on the stand. Wow. So, so clearly then he, he said, well, then you're a liar. And he said, the defendant said, uh, no, I'm not a liar. I just lied those five times. Wow. And I thought, isn't that interesting how in his mind, yeah. the fact that I have lied on the stand in front of all of you five times does not make me a liar because mm-hmm. he's thinking generally I'm a truth teller. Yeah. 99% right? of the time I've told you the truth, but the times yes. I lied. <laughs> so I texted the DA, you know, to say, hey, uh, ask him how many times do I need to cheat on my wife before I'm an adulterer? Yes. Right. Because yep. the reality of it is, is that we know that if you mm. now again, that is the standard if God is not just good, but morally perfect. We need yeah. a perfect record. So yeah. five lies, are, are, that's gonna, you're now a liar. Same well, that's as one everybody. Lie. That's yeah. all of us. I, what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus basically setting the bar so high that yep. none of us can jump it on our own good works, right? Yeah. To me, that's like the whole point of this <laughs> is that, hey, you thought that was going to be enough, but no. Anyway, Just back takes to your, that your, one your question. Yeah. I, I actually walked into a church with my wife because she was interested in raising our kids with some some set of beliefs. Yeah. And she was like, shouldn't we do that? I mean, we've got kids. Don't 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 people raise their kids in church or in Sunday school or in some kind of setting where they learn moral truth? I'm yeah. like, well, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if you want, I'm happy to go, but because I wanted to please my wife. But I this is a to me. Yeah. Now I will tell you my dad who was also a detective, mm. he would tell you that, yeah, this is a, this is take your kids to church. Yeah. It's not true, Yeah, but it's helpful. Principles and structure. Yeah. Discipline. So he thinks yeah. it's a very useful delusion. Yeah. A very yeah. useful untruth. Wow. And so I was willing to go with her to mm. sit alongside her, to please her in this useful untruth. How many, what percentage do you really think of men sitting in church <laughs> are in somewhere in that spectrum of, hey, I'm doing this because my wife wants to go to church. And she's I a guess. Believer. I'm not really, yeah. I, mean, I can go through the motions, but this is not my thing. It's yeah. her thing. I think that's a lot of men. And to be honest, Brian, mm. I think it's because most of us, most of us have, uh, the way we are wired, our biochemistry mm. kind of pushes us in a direction that we are less, I'm less emotional about this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I just am. I mean, if it's not true, I'm not interested. Yeah. I can't force myself to feel it if it's yeah. not true. That's just not who I am. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's like, hey, just the facts, man. Right? I think a lot of guys are wired that way. Mm-hmm. 
So they so went in the church like that, thinking, I've heard the worship, I've seen all the guys on TV, all the rest of it, but I'm going in here. What are the facts? And I know when I go share sometimes, you'll have someone that says, I came with my wife for seven years, it never hit me. But you know, whether it's your sermon, my sermon, it's all the Lord, that day God got a hold of them. But sadly, right. many are visiting just out of someone's going. So you went there that day. Yeah, so I was the same way. Yeah, but this guy, this pastor was clever. And he, <laughs> I'm sure he had said this kind of thing a thousand times before. Yep. It was the first time I was hearing it. And he said that Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. Hmm. And that was enough for me. I had a, a teacher in yeah. high school who was Baha'i. And he, he said, you know, Baha'u'llah has said a lot of really amazing things you should. So he gave me the book that had mm. all of the writings of Baha'u'llah, yeah. the prophet of, of Baha'i. Mm. And so I, I read through those. And I remember the, I, was, I thought, oh, there's some good stuff in here, fortune cookie stuff. Yeah, Not, yeah. I don't believe any of that nonsense about God is true. But yeah. the, the, there are, look, if somebody has got vetted wisdom from the past yeah. but has made it down to us over if aristotle said it am i interested in listening to it sure yeah if this jesus of nazareth is some wise jewish sage <laughs> i'll listen yeah doesn't mean i'm gonna believe it's, it's true so i bought a bible hmm. it's still sitting back here uh it's it was on six dollars right because if it was seven yeah you ain't gonna go gonna, that far. I, I dare not try to back up because i'm tethered here so hang on a second <laughs> let me see if i can reach it I think I can. So here's, well, I'll tell them we, we were joking before we started, but I know I have shorts on and you even stood up and said, don't, oh, don't tell everybody I'm yeah. wearing shorts. Okay, We're in Southern California. As long as they're Liverpool FC shorts, then we're yes. good. All of this is just what I have to wear to convince people I'm a detective. That's well, it. I'm still blown away by the fact that you could be in a court in L.A., but instead you're on a podcast with me and our listeners. Yeah, be thankful, guys. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I love it. I mean, I I I I did it at that for 25 years. I, mm. I, I had a great run. Yeah. Now I get to help from a distance and just mm. put it in a Dropbox and send it to them. It's awesome. Anyway, yeah. so this is the Bible I bought. This is a uh, a pew yeah. Bible. Standard um, pew Bible. It's just a small yeah. $6 thing. Now I put tabs in it yep. because as I went through it, I started to do forensic statement analysis on the Gospels. Mm. And what that really is, is just uh, looking at when when uh, so i bought this bible because this pastor said hey jesus is smart yeah and i'm reading through the gospels and i'm like oh wow you know and you were leaving yeah. the church like so you just grabbed the bible that no day. no i i didn't buy it right away so uh, maybe a couple of weeks afterwards i mean i wasn't going every week i just yeah. went this one time okay so god dealt with I, you weeks later wow yeah it's a couple of weeks later before i went back <laughs> maybe two or three weeks later and then it was hit and miss for a while you know because i wasn't yeah. like in it but i did buy a bible um mm. And I was looking at the Gospels, and what I struck me right away was there, the differences between the Gospels. Because if you've ever worked eyewitness accounts, yep. they are different. They yeah. vary based on a couple of different things that are true about eyewitnesses. This is why yeah. uh, jurors, for example, can, can look at the exact same evidence and come to two different conclusions. Because we don't yeah. just focus on the things. We have a lot of baggage we bring in, our presuppositions, yeah. our likes, our dislikes, our histories. Yeah. The things that I'm like, if you're geeked out on clothing, you might know, yeah, the lapel on his jacket was mm. like two and a half inches at the top. You know, like, like this kind of stuff they sold in 2000. <laughs> or he had a pinky ring on or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, well how if do you're you know Italian. That? Because yeah. you just love, you maybe you make suits yeah. and you know uh, that I can tell you exactly what kind of suit he was wearing. Well, yeah. Okay, well, great. 
you bring in your personal history and you end yeah. up focusing on those things that are coming from your personal history. So mm. I started doing a forensic statement analysis on Mark. And the reason why I picked Mark and use different yeah. colors, kind of like you'll see in Bible studies anyway. Yeah. But what I'm looking for are deception indicators, compression of time, expansion of time, the use of personal pronouns, mm. um, stuff like uh, arbitrary words or words that uh, have, if I could have said it some other way, why did I say it this way? Mm. I'm looking also for any description involving Peter, because Papias, an early church bishop, yeah. said that Peter was the source of Mark's gospel. Hmm. So I thought, hmm, is that true? If that's true, there should be something uniquely Peterish about hmm. Mark's gospel. So I started doing a forensic statement analysis on Mark, and I wrote about it in a book called Cold Case Christianity. And that book, I just talk about, like, what what is the difference? So yeah, yeah. that's how this all started for me. And um, it ended up being something that it got me to a place where I call belief that. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Well, just for our listeners, probably. what it means, though, is when you say gospel, this is four witnesses' testimonies about Jesus. Yes. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, generally the same, they think, and then obviously John. But you were reading right, like a crime scene, like a case. I'm going to go sit right. with these four witnesses. What did you see? So two Thousands. of these are yeah. attributed to people who said they were eyewitnesses, Matthew and John. But the other two, Mark and Luke, are written by people who say that they had, well, Luke says he has access to the eyewitnesses. Yeah. And he certainly, he wrote two volumes, Luke and the book of Acts. Book of Acts. And, and Acts, you know, he, he actually slips into first person at several chapters of the book of Acts. He's in mm -hmm. first person because he's with Paul, and then they separate, and then he's back and with Paul again, you know. <laughs> so he slips into first person. So clearly he knew the people that Paul knew. Yeah. But then he's interviewing those people to write his gospel. So he's now great Mark, for your line of work, yeah. Yeah, and Mark, according to Papias, is writing it at the feet of Peter in Rome. Okay, so if that's the case, we we have we should have mm -hmm. some form of eyewitness observations being recorded mm. in all four Gospels, mm. and they were different. Listen, I, I say this all the time. When I get called out to a homicide, the first thing I tell the dispatcher is, have the police officers on the scene yep. separate the eyewitnesses until I get there. Yeah, Because if you don't separate them, they'll tell you one story over and over and over again. But if you separate them, you'll get different stories. And you want first that, right? you might think are contradictory, but it turns out this is the nature of eyewitness testimony. Because if I'm sitting in the cock car with my four friends and we, you know, rub grandma's house and we said, just tell them this. It's the same where you can't pick up on the discrepancies. So what you're saying for maybe even atheists, agnostics, family members of mine is, you wanted these four testimonies yes. of Jesus to, as a detective, challenge, disprove. Well, what did you find when you read there was two angels, but then there was only one angel? Right, what were right. the things Why that, that were contradictory? What's, what's that difference? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I can tell you that sometimes it's very benign. Sometimes it's like a witness can be in the car or sitting under an overhang because it's raining and they're all together and they're trying to stay mm. warm and they're talking. And I go, oh, did you see the gun in his waistband? No, that wasn't a gun. That was a big belt buckle. Oh, maybe you're right. So now when I interview these people, I got four people saying it's a belt buckle. Now, listen, mm. don't talk to anybody and I'll figure that out. <laughs> Yeah. I'll figure now here's the problem. We have a notion of inerrancy and infallibility yeah. that, that dictates, we would think, does this mean that God would allow differences? They're not, they're not contradictory. Yeah. None of them are contradictory. They're just yep. different. Look, if, if, if I'm focused on who's speaking, I may only mention the presence of the person who's speaking. Yeah. But if I'm focused on a bigger like pullback, listen, you see this in, by the way, body cam yeah. uh, on police officers all the time. Like uh, the body camera picks up everything. Yeah. The officer will tell you, I never saw that guy. Well, how can you not see that guy? Because I had the tunnel vision of my threat. Yeah. He was the threat. So Adrenaline, I was life, him. everything. I just didn't yeah. catch that in my peripheral vision. The camera caught it. 
but you don't catch mm. it. Well, this happens in every single eyewitness account. Yeah. So I just wanted, and so if God's intention was to deliver to us four accounts that could be tested as eyewitness accounts, <laughs> he did a marvelous job. And that's, and it's like as simple as this. I mean, you've probably seen me take a drink a couple of times. Do you know what kind of cup this is? You don't. Right, I have I, not noticed it. Well, there you go. It's a star. Look. Let, well, let the record show. Let the record show. See, you're, you got you got like you're like hip. Okay, you got like the Starbucks cup going there. I have the 1979 red tumbler. Okay? Well, they're retro now, so you're actually hip again. I, so. I think everything I, I mean, listen, everything I you see in here, including my face mm -hmm. and my hair, is all retro. It's all working because I'm seeing the police hats. I'm seeing the diplomas. I mean, thank yeah. you for all that work. But so you're you're reading this, mm -hmm. and here's what we're hearing, guys: is God wrote four letters then through four different kinds of pens. Yeah. Um, these authors. So God is delivering it. It's inspired. He's overseeing it. But if I send a letter today or an email, as you open it. It's by Brian, but there's a method it was delivered. So when people say it was recorded by man, so is everything else you believe. The only difference is, did God inspire it the way the Holy Spirit inspired we see in the Old Testament? So right. as you're reading this, what what do you concur? You like, I get this. I see you started getting you know more history books, geography books. Right. You just took on the case, and how did that develop your faith then? When was the moment, I guess? Well, okay, so I had a place where I point, and I've talked about it with friends, where I was convinced that the Gospels were telling me something true mm. about the most important claim of the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I'm mm. one of those guys, like I say, my friend of mine, Frank Turk, and I always say this, you know, I have a tendency to listen to people who rise out of the grave. And, and so if he rose out of the grave, that makes him a different category in terms of authority. And I was mm -hmm. willing to listen to that. Wow. Now, I, I, what I, I got to a point where I'm doing all this work in this book, and, and I've got a bunch of books that were all mostly like the Antonicene Fathers, the non-canonical gospel authors, mm -hmm. and I went back as far as I could in history, just kind of assembling what's going on in the first 300 years yep. prior to Rome issuing the Edict of Milan and the Edict of Thessalonica, which really kind of reduced the hostility mm -hmm. and eventually embraced Christianity as the religion of the empire. But yeah. prior to that, there was a roller coaster of persecution, intolerance, and persecution, and some tolerance, and persecution again. Mm. And during that time, the church had to kind of duck and bob and weave in order to survive. And there's a less chance that there's going to be any corruption without the power that any governmental authority will put on something. Mm. So I was interested in the pre Council of Nicaea leaders mm. and what they did to repeat the story, how the story changes over time, if it does. And so that's those the Antonicene fathers. That's where I spent a lot of time. So in that history 30 of AD, a couple of hundred years. Yeah, that, the, that period of, of non, everything up to 325. Flavius, Josephus, a lot of these. Yes, and so guys. I'm looking at a lot. And I, in the new book, Person of Interest, I actually will list, hmm. I think, 92 non-Christian sources in the first 300 years. So to listen, as you're say? saying, is that there's evidence for Jesus outside of this religious book that people wrote just to supposedly control the world. That's you as right. a detective found there's a lot of historical evidence. Oh, Jesus changed time. And how long was this process for you? Like, was this a couple months, well, I years? I was on it like every day. So I asked, I would get to four, four a.m. and I would work till about six before I go to work, and and then I get on weekends. I had four day, I had worked a four day work week, so I had three days off every week, and I would just bomb. I mean, I was like in, I was just locked in a room, and mm. Susan thought I was crazy, and I remember thinking, this is the most fun I've ever had investigating anything. <laughs> 
So I'm reading through all of this and I get to a place where I'm like, okay, you know, I, I think this is probably an accurate record. That should change you, right? That should hmm. open your eyes if you think that somebody actually rose from the dead. It's a big deal. But I remember asking Susie, hey, so I don't understand why God would do it this way. Like, why does Jesus, if Jesus, if God comes to earth mm. as Jesus, yep. why would he have to die on? In other words, I underst—I did not understand the gospel. Yeah. I understood that the, I, re- I, I, I was reading the gospels, those accounts of, the, mm. of the, those three years of ministry of Jesus, but I wasn't, I still didn't get the gospel. Like, what is the, yeah. what is God's plan to save us? Mm. And so I, I, she said, I don't know. <laughs> Your she, wife didn't know. <laughs> we weren't raised in the church. But it's funny to be 30. Listen, people will say to me, you know, everyone on the planet knows God's real or not. I'm like, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not joking. I didn't meet one Christian my whole life growing up in England. I say it every time on a podcast, one of the ones I'm doing. I met some Mormons, some Jehovah Witnesses, a lot of Muslims, but hmm. we just were like, whatever. And I thought about even a conversation a day if I was on a plane ride over here at 13, 15, 16 when I came to America. If I was sitting next to you and you were downloading this, I'd be like, well, why Jesus? Because for you, you're hearing now, it isn't the white Hollywood Jesus and the church and the Crusades. It's this this Messiah, this 300 prophecies that will fulfill when he arose. I've seen something even today that was saying there's over 574. I'm sure you can gauge the accuracy of at least scriptures pointing right to a Messiah. So God's laid a foundation, the case is on your desk, and you're saying, why though? And and what were you thinking? What was the reason why? Had you read through the whole Bible or were you just in the New Testament? So this is the New Testament, and I was really focused mostly on the eyewitness testimony, right? Because mm. it really is going to come down to that. If the story, you can build a bunch of stuff off of a, off of a false claim. Yeah. It can be pretty robust. Yep. Um, but the question is, is the claim false? Now, the reason why I knew that was the case, that I needed to go further, is because my dad remarried. His second wife was Mormon. Mm. And I have six brothers and sisters raised LDS. So I knew that that was out there, and I thought that was just nonsense. But I thought everything was nonsense. Yeah. So, so, so I actually, when I first, as I'm looking through Scripture, I'm also reading the Book of Mormon hmm. because I, I honestly didn't know what was true. And Book yeah. of Mormon is written in a kind of a, a very much similar. As a matter of fact, Joseph Smith just kind of leveraged and pulled out a ton of, of of King James Old Testament stuff, yep. and his stuff sounds like King James. So that's the only access he only had access to that translation. So he thought if God speaks, he's going to speak in King James. Aside from so, God, told Abraham to lie. In that in that version, which yes. most Mormons don't even know that, but so you're you're getting so, into so that. I'm reading yeah. through all that, and I'm realizing, hey, an elaborate, a uh, very rich, and mm. in some ways beautiful, useful worldview can be built on a lie. Yeah, is that what's happened here? Yeah, and so I was researching all of this to see. Now, at some point, it, the, the the switch flipped for me. Yep. When I realized that I stopped reading the New Testament to see, what I, I was confident that the New Testament was telling me something true about Jesus. And I began mm-hmm. to read the New Testament to see what it said about me. Yeah. Because all that stuff that Jesus says in the sermons, I wasn't as focused on that. What it's like, like he says a lot about our human condition. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just reading past that to kind of mine out how can I verify that any of yeah. this event actually occurred. How are they addressing it? What are they saying? Yeah. Because and you've so had I, now I, decades of I wasn't of focused that. on what it meant to me personally. Hmm. And I remember where I was. I was working undercover. <laughs> we were working a residential burglary team. And I was in one city to the east of us in our uh, in the neighboring city. because That's where hmm. these guys lived. And we were just waiting for this guy to go, go mobile. He was at home doing dope. 
and he was getting high and eventually he's going to go out and do a crime, but we're just waiting for him to go. We're going to watch him do the crime and take him to jail afterwards. Mm. So we're sitting there and I'm just off. I'm not on the eye. I'm off the eye so I can read my Bible. And I'm reading through Romans and first Corinthians. And especially by the time I got through first Corinthians, I'm just kind of reading. And I had several hours sitting there. Sometimes these guys will sit for eight hours. So I'm sitting there just reading and I'm, I'm thinking, Oh man, this Paul is describing me. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I recognized my, uh, look, I would never have, have trusted what Paul had to say about me yeah. until I first trusted what Luke had to say about Jesus. Yeah. But once I got to a place where I trusted that, I was like, oh, man, I'm in, I'm in need of a Savior. And because it's personal Lucky for now. me, I'd already done the heavy lifting on the Savior thing, so I already yeah. knew who that Savior was, <laughs> but that's where I connected the dots. And so, yeah, mm. it, took a little, it took a while. So I think a lot of us, what I would say as a cautionary tale to, to people who are listening, is that if you would have talked to my wife yeah. at the age of 34, when I was 34, she'd have been 32, and said, hey, do you think that Jim will ever be a Christian? Well, she didn't even know what it was to be a Christian. Mm. But I guarantee you, she just said, no, because there's nobody in our family. And you were too practical, fresh. too disciplined, just um, didn't need it. I think it. too suspicious. When we were growing up, I've known my wife for, thir- for 42 years now. Hmm. We met in high school. Yeah. When she was 15 and I was 17, she'd come over to my house, and I would be watching at 5.30 in the morning a televangelist who was locally here in Los Angeles had a show, 30-minute yeah. show. And I would watch that show with her, and I would say, you have to sit and watch with me. And she goes, why? You don't even think this is true. I'm like, no, it's not true, but you, it's brilliant. Trust me, at 21 minutes, he is going to move from message to money. Yeah. Just watch how he does it. You're not even going to see it coming. He's going to move from this message from, you know, some of the God message. He's going to yeah. move to an ask. He's going to ask his people mm-hmm. to give him money. But the way he does it is like, it's like, it's like magic. Yeah. You have to watch it's it. It's a craft, sadly. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so she was like, so that was the kind of skepticism that I held about anybody. Mm-hmm. who would preach on TV or preach publicly or like, why is this guy in this big church? You know, but why I'm wouldn't sure you though? paid well. Yeah. I'm sure he's got privilege and power. He's probably cheating on his wife. This is me. This is me Sadly, in my head yeah. as yeah. an atheist yeah. making these assumptions. <laughs> so a lot of this was just hard to overcome. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I try and think back and I'll say this because of the listeners who may be tuned in for you. You know, when I came to faith, I didn't have a Bible. I read a Bible in England, I got knocked out, hit my head, woke up and said, I've seen God, I was skateboarding. I don't claim I seen God, but I had this feeling, this encounter, and my friends were recording me, I was vomiting, and I said, I've seen God, and they're all laughing at me. I hit my head for one second. I said, he's got a call for my life, I'm gonna live in America, I'm gonna be a pro skateboarder. They all started laughing at me. And then when I had this encounter with God in the room here, which means I repented, I came to faith, he led me after seven months of trying to disprove it, I left the house on a bike ride and I said, I don't even have a Bible. I'd had a Bible as a kid and I opened it and the only word I saw was tabarnacle. And I was like, tabarnacle, tabernacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But when I got to this park, I'm not kidding you. I was 24, just coming to faith, like not even there yet. On this bike ride, I said, I don't even have a Bible. And on the bench in in the park, was this like $50 NLT cream Bible wrapped in paper. And I'm, it was just sitting there. And I'm saying this because that Bible you just showed, 
it's in my book stand over here. It's covered in pink. I try yes. to read through it. How did this guy live 900 years? Where are the dinosaurs? What yeah. about slavery? Yeah, yeah. So I, I went down that role. But for you, now Paul is telling you, I mean, Romans 3, you've sinned. Romans 6, right. the Romans road. Romans road We've yeah. heard of Jesus. You're down the case. This guy's the king. And, and Paul was a scholar. I mean, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin. Um, he had all the information. You and him could have conversed in great ways. He's now telling you there's an issue with you. And, and what happens? Like you're sitting in a car. Does the guy leave the house and go commit a crime? Did you capture him? Yeah, no, he did. He eventually. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I've worked a bunch of these. They're just they're hilarious because um, you Plot don't twist. know. You don't know for sure this is your guy. You know you've got a residential yeah. burglary spring uh, uh, series, and you just don't know who your guy is. But someone says, "Oh, I think it's this guy." So you wow. go sit on him and see if he's the guy. So, so anyway, the, 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 the yeah, you're right about that. I mean, I think that a lot of it for me was a, a, a trust issue. Right. Like like I would have been the kind of guy who would have given you 15 reasons why that that experience you had was entirely neurological and natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no God involved in this. This is just art. And but, you know, as, as I study this and, and, and you'll see this in, even in the, the, the person of interest, I talk yeah. about how we are innately religious. And there are a number of studies, I cite like four or mm -hmm. five of these now that have been done by uh, scientists in some of the best institutions in the world yep. in which they have discovered that, no, the, the default position is not atheism on the part of humans. Our deep, it, people have even mm. said it seems to be like it's ingrained in our DNA. They've used that expression yeah. to talk about how, our, how we seek the divine. That yeah. We assume in, in children, it's usually studied in children where they'll say, mm. you know, children have a tendency to take a look at the created world world and associate design principles yeah. and, and infer a designer from what they think is designed in the mm. world. And this is why, and it's not because we're simple as kids or yeah. stupid as kids. That's why I think when Jesus says, you need to come to me like a child, he's not saying yeah. you need to come to me with the reduced intellect of children. Yep. What he really is saying is you need to come to me and put aside your biases and yeah. all the baggage that a life as an adult provides. Yeah. And children don't have that baggage. Yeah. They don't have ulterior motives. Yeah. They don't have now things that they've collected they don't want to let go of. Yep. And so they come to us as more of a, of a, they're open to difficult truths that require them to bend a knee in a way that I'm not even open to as a teenager. Yeah. Even as a teenager now, I've got things I want to hold on to yep. in my own sin life or my own life yeah. that I'm not willing to let go of. So I think that there's a sense in which um, the, the belief in God now is, is that is the default position. Yeah, and the Bible and, says eternity is written in our hearts. That's right. And even in the, in, the, in what is it, Matthew 5, 6, 7, when he's challenging, he says to have childlike faith. Why? Because the wise and the learned in their own mind are the Pharisees and the Sadducees right. who weren't protecting the sheep. He came with compassion, your sheep without a shepherd. And... That childlike faith, I remember sharing on this, and I said, you know, you hear the kids in the back row, and that obviously could have been someone related to you, someone in the church, but those kids, as soon as you let go of them, they fall. They need to be held. They need someone. Right. They need someone to give food. The childlike faith is you and I, and Paul's about to tell you this, who's got you covered? What about the issue of sin? Who is your faith in? Because there's many yeah. different faiths. Like I joke, the white Jesus from a bunch of Jewish guys who put Hollywood together. You know, you yeah. go to Ethiopia, he's Ethiopian. You go to Africa, he's That's black. Right. You go to Mexico, he's Spanish. So you are hearing from Paul. And what was Paul telling you? That you're not good or what? Well, I mean, he exposed it. I mean, I knew that was all true. That mm. no one chased it. That everyone, I love Romans 7, you know, where Paul says, even Paul, yeah. that he cannot do what he knows he ought to do. And the things that he does, he does, he knows he shouldn't do. Mm. And, and that, that, that 
observation was, I mean, I don't know who can read that and not say, well, yeah, that's me. And all of us have some standard. This mm -hmm. is why hypocrisy, I think, is so yeah. pronounced in the church. Here's why. Yeah. We have a high standard, higher than anyone else's. Yep. So I might have a personal standard as an atheist, but it's pretty low compared to the righteous holiness of God. Okay, that yeah. standard is going to be higher. Yeah. Two, that standard <laughs> is public. Like everyone, if I say I'm a Christ follower, well, you know my standard. You yeah. know my standard is a Christian standard, and you probably are familiar enough culturally with Christ's standard to know mm -hmm. that not only do I hold the highest possible standard, but you know what it is. By the way, if I didn't say I was a Christ follower, you wouldn't know what my person yeah. is. For you all you know, I'm acting whatever. consistent with my standards because you yeah. don't know what my standard is. Yeah. Most of us hold private standards that are low. Christians mm. hold public standards that are high. Yeah. So guess what? You're going to find us violating our standard far more than anyone else in the culture. Mm. So that's just the nature of it. And I realize as I'm sitting there listening that I had even violated my own private standards. Mm. I'm not a consistent person, right? Yeah. None of us are. Well, as Paul saying I, that, the things I want to do, I don't do. That's the right. things that was I don't powerful want to do. For me. Why would he say that? Because right. obviously it's the Holy Spirit working through him. And and point be made to our listeners, if you and I, with kind of the status that God has allowed, you know, the I Am Second videos, the Billy Graham things I've been part of, a lot of the travel and ministry, if you and I just started saying crazy stuff right now, it would probably be on Christianity Today. It would probably be somewhere because of the standard that's projected onto us. And likewise, that's why you put that standard on pastors and leaders to aim to live above reproach. So as you're seeing, you've broken whose standard God's standard, you've got a guy that's guilty, he's going to jail, you're sitting in the car guilty. What do you realize? This well, I think Jesus. you made a great point, though, too, about, yeah. like, there's only three reasons why anyone commits a crime. Mm. There's only three motives for murder, only three motives for, for, for uh, theft or larceny or robberies mm. or any sin anyone has ever. There's only three motives for misbehavior of any yeah. kind. They are sexual lust, financial mm. greed, and the pursuit of power, which accommodates, which basically mm. encompasses about 70% of all motives for misbehavior. Yeah. Well, that pursuit of power thing is nuanced. It could mm. be that I'm disrespected. So therefore, pop, you're not going to be disrespected. Which is often well, the why case. Why are you doing yeah. that? Because you, it was a power issue. Or it could yeah. be that, you know what, I'm going to walk into a Walmart and shoot people that are a different color than me. Well, why am mm. I doing that? Because I think that, oh, I'm going to basically be a drug addict and abuse my family because I think that my personal pleasure is more mm. important than your convenience. Mm. So this is all about power, pride, authority, respect. Well, I'm going to tell you something else <laughs> that is also a nuanced aspect of the pursuit of power. Celebrity. Mm. And I want to just throw that out there because Put every there, single yeah. one of us has to wrestle with this right now. Mm -hmm. If you've got an Instagram account, you're also wrestling with celebrity mm. because all of us are positioning ourselves on, on, on Instagram in a way that's not really true. You're only yeah. gonna get the best of my life on Instagram. Yeah. And those of us who are public speakers, so this is why, for example, um, yeah. I don't know if you've ever looked at, like on YouTube, we all create thumbnails of our videos. Well, for yeah. years, I, I did what everybody else did. I would have my image. If, if we're going to do this video, yeah. for example, I would just take our images and yeah. I would put our faces together and we would be the thumbnail. Yeah. <laughs> I've stopped doing that. Yeah. I've stopped all my thumbnails now on my YouTube page are something other than my face. We yeah. have to become invisible to deny. And here's why mm. this hit me. 
Brian, it hit me after Robbie Zacharias fell. Like a lot yep. of people have fallen and deconstructed and done all kinds of stupid things in Christendom. Mm. But Robbie was another apologist, and I knew yeah. him. Yeah, I had spoken at events with him. Yep. I had endorsed his last book. When he fell, I realized that, and this is true of, I know this already to be true working cases. Mm. These three motives, you might think, well, yeah, I, I, I might be tempted by one of them, but I'm not tempted by the other. I two. hear them all. I hear them all. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to tell you, the minute you start to scratch one of those three itches, you mm. will scratch the other two. This mm. is the nature of it. And the more you allow yourself to scratch one itch, the more the other two will come in. If I say, you know what, like, for example, after this thing happened with Robbie, people would say, well, gosh, maybe we should have had an accountability partner with Robbie to make sure he was never alone with a woman. Maybe mm -hmm. we should have had a better sense of how much money he was leveraging to make this happen. Yeah. But nobody would have said, you know, we need to reduce his celebrity. As a matter of fact, yeah. what we would have said is, no, we want to increase celebrity because we always say, oh, increased celebrity means increased impact Reach. for the kingdom. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. like if I've got, I think we have like 60,000, 63,000 subscribers on YouTube mm. right now. Well, if I had a 630,000 subscribers, we'd be able to have more reach. Yeah. Really? Here's what I discovered. People who say, I want to grow my impact. I want to... Uh, I grow my celebrity yeah. for the purposes of sharing the gospel. At some point, they end up sharing the gospel so they can grow their celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. That switch takes mm. place. It's very subtle. It's the platform. It's, I mean, yeah, it it's is. a platform issue. Because I always tell people, you want to be an author? I always, I should get a, a percentage of royalties for this book. There's yeah. a book called Platform by Michael Hyatt. Yeah. It was the first book I read before I published my first book. It was invaluable to me mm. in developing a public platform from which I could preach the gospel. Mm. But to be honest, this can't be what we... It, it, yeah. You and I both know we have to be invisible. Yeah. And and, and how do we become invisible? Like mm. I, I, wrote, I wrote a book, right? Here's yeah. So <laughs> we have a book, okay? Yeah. Person of interest. I love books because you know why? It used to be you could write a book and you didn't know. For example, yeah. um, let's think about a book that 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 um, your favorite author who's now writing books who have become movies. There's a good chance you don't know what that guy looks like, mm -hmm. right? Because you don't know. Uh, you know who John Grisham? If I showed you a picture of Grisham right now, would you know who he is? I know he's Stan Lee. The biggest books I know ever, who Stan Lee is. <laughs> right? So, I mean, you maybe you wouldn't even recognize his image. Yeah. I think, oh, that's so awesome, right? Because yeah. now the content of the book is the star, mm. not the person who wrote the book. Yeah. But here we are, right? We're yeah. doing a video, and we are the stars yeah. of the video. And we're getting so, our treasure, in a sense, now. That's right. Because I think Good. about skating, and I think, you know, when I was on top of the world, I have like three or 400,000 followers, but how much of that really call me to do what I'm doing? And we always talk about, you know, you said the size and the reach. Well, if that's the case, we should be looking at the Mormon church because they're reaching everyone. Or we yeah, should be doing no. exactly what Joel Osteen's doing because look at how big that stadium is. And you've probably been sent or have listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Oh my gosh. I, I, how I now good suggest, you realize is, that was the number four podcast in America, not the number four Christian podcast. Wow. It was the number four podcast about four weeks ago. I was, I've been telling everybody about it. As soon as it came out, I, I somebody, I forget how I heard about it. Yeah. But I started watching, listening from episode one. And I, and I, and here's why I thought that was interesting. Yeah. This is an aside. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. I love, I think what's missing sometimes is a biblical sense of masculinity. 
yep. that is so missing right now. And of course, as a cop, I might say that anyway, right? Yeah. But I do believe this is an important issue we need to return to the church. I get to speak yeah. at churches like you all over yeah. the country every month. And I've been all over the country. I think mm. I, now we've been we've been through everywhere once. Yeah. So now it's like Susie's like, I'm not probably going to travel with you much. I've already seen every city. <laughs> so do I need to go back a second time? I'm like, really? <laughs> so now I got to go by myself. But the point is, uh, there's a sense in which I, I get a sense that that churches are still dominated by women. Hmm. Yeah. Like it's a, it's like a 60-40 proposition. And people now. would challenge that, the perspective. But but here's the reality. There was the 12 tribes of Israel. There was the 12 apostles. This isn't a knock on women. Mm. Um, you know what's sad? And I almost think, Not you know, all. I like to redeem. Like, you know, I, I joke, but I said to my pastor, you know, do you think it's bad using social media? He says, well, not if you're social. If the goal is to reach people, if the goal is right. to interact with people, because there's people that message me who want to blow their brains out, and I'm in bed, and I get to talk to them for an hour, make a phone call, right. the Lord's in that. But the danger is men have become very submissive, and now as a man, you know, you know, my pastor, Andrew Shea, when it yeah. was Father's Day, he got up there and just talked about men, and he said, you know what's crazy is women are so celebrated, and they should be. But men are kind of just told to suck it up and get on with it because you know what? You're a guy and you're tough and, and you're a detective and you've been out there. And, right. But we need love. We need care. But what we've done is we've backslid almost into this place of just like submission where if someone comes to my door today with a gun, my kids, my daughter, my wife better run out the back and I'm going to run the front. And I hope my 20-year-old son's going to run the front. And even my youngest, go get an axe. You know what I mean? I'm right, just saying right. men need to stand in the battle. So your point. Right. There's a sense in which Mark Hill kind of represented this. Oh, I love this preaching. Some, Not the yes. crazy stuff, but his books, his stance, yeah, his standard. Right. But it was. I just thought that was interesting to hear you speak about it because a billion people have told me to listen. I finally got round to it. But you've seen Robert Shula. You've seen mm -hmm. the Willow Creeks and all the rest of it. And mm -hmm. it's true. Because even my being a part of Rock Harbor, you know, great churches, what they were doing, but was the goal to make it a massive campus of seven churches to be one church? And our pastor was like, look, I just right. want to reach people in Huntington. I so don't I'm just going to tell you what my strategy was as a church plan. Yeah. So I was a youth pastor, and then our church merged with another church. And I, mm -hmm. I realized that the other church, I was a youth pastor. So the other church had a youth pastor. And that poor guy, he needed an income. Like, I wasn't going to displace him. Mm. I was doing it for free. Yeah, with our church and I had hired two 20 hour interns for my old salary. So I didn't have to get a salary. I always said, hey, you know what? Rather than give me 40 hours, I can't give you four. I can't even give you. Look, mm -hmm. let's hire two 20 hour interns. So they did. So I was doing this as a volunteer. Yeah. So I knew that when we merged that I couldn't take that guy's job. Yeah. So I said, this is the perfect time for me to plant. And I was at, I was in a wow. seminary. I graduated from seminary and my advisor, my thesis advisor was a Southern Baptist church planter. Yeah. So I came to him and I said, Hey, I want to <laughs> plant a church, but here's what I want to do. I know that the three motivations for misbehavior are mm. sex, money, and power. Yeah. So I want to plant a church that protects me in all three areas. Number one, I want to plant a church that has no salaries hmm. and no mortgage has no expenses. We're going to collect tithes, but I don't want any of the tithes to go toward the church. Hmm. So I spent about $20,000 and I blew out my garage and I created a house church with 50 chairs, 50. Hmm. And we were at 50 right away. Yeah. So that now that number one takes the money out. Yeah. I did everything with my wife attached to my hip. That Amen. takes the sex issue out. Yeah. Two, three, I said, you know what? Uh, if we grow to 60 and we did right away, uh, we have to plan another 
to send it out. And by the way, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. I, I'm not going to do a series of house yeah, churches. Why connected. not trust God with someone else? Yeah, in your, I need in your a leader community. and the 10 to go start another cell group. Yeah. Now, we were a Southern Baptist church plant <laughs> so they counted us as a southern baptist church plant in your house church in garage. my house and i said you know what I, and they wanted to kind of pay me because you know if you're a church plant they'll give you two years of yeah. a stipend to kind yeah. of get you up and running i said no, mm -hmm. no 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 don't want your money because that would violate our principles yeah uh, and we would collect money we, we most of our young church we were yeah. mostly like, like college-age students mm. and their and their parents and we collected money but what we did was once a month we would go serve at a local ministry and we would bring them the tithes from that month. Wow. And by the way, if you show up 50 deep to serve someplace locally and you're willing to bring them $10,000, yeah. oh, trust me, they will invite you back. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so we were up to our neck in opportunities to serve. But mm. my point here is I just knew I had to take those three things out. Yeah. And so that's the way we we planted, and, and and I'll just tell you that I only mentioned this because you mentioned uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Yeah. It turns out that I just have a sense that this kind of power, at any time you're so so I just knew. Yeah. Let me just say this. I never, have never said this publicly, but let yeah. me just say that um, that part of this, Brian, was for me. Yep. Is I waited to do ministry until I had my retire. I earned my retirement. Yeah. And then I retired. And I learned how to live hmm. on the retirement income alone. Yeah, that's and, amazing. And so there's a couple, we always talk about, well, how does God's sovereignty interact with our free agency? Yeah. I'm a compatibilist. I believe that hmm. your freedom is not libertarian freedom, the freedom to do anything. Freedom is being able to do anything you want to do. Mm -hmm. But you're He's still giving you that freedom. by your desire. So for example, I am free to order halibut, but I don't like halibut. So I don't ever order it. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's I possible like it I could order it, but I limit myself based on my wants. This is why when we are in heaven, mm -hmm. we will have complete freedom, but because God has changed our desires, we won't yeah. desire to do evil. So we can still have freedom, even though God is sovereign. Well, this mm. is true financially also. So for, for me, financially is not, financial freedom is not about being able to buy anything you want, anything. Yeah. It's anything yeah. you want. And what I've done is I've said, I don't want anything. Yeah. I don't, I don't have yeah. any, like, 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 I've got a 2013 Hyundai sitting in the driveway. Yeah. That's good. I'm good with that. I mean, I don't need, you know, my wife's got a 2007 Volkswagen. Yeah. yeah we're good with that. I mean, and it isn't life easier that way because there's new models coming out and who you impress. And, and again, we're not saying here, guys, that we have this all figured out and you're not coveting, mm -hmm. you know, this this Starbucks drink now that you've been, I mean, the triple filtered water is pretty good, I'll just tell you. Yes, this is Diet um, Coke. Diet oh, Coke yeah. is, is, I put two Diet Cokes <laughs> in, my, in my glass every afternoon and that's terrible, right? But, I mean, but I I'll say this, you know what, what's funny is I did see someone respond to the Mars Hill thing and said, you know, the way you guys presented this was overly negative and you left out some of the amazing things and it was one of the main guys, but he was going to maybe do his own thing to unpack because you know i look at the books mark wrote and i love them i wasn't I in the mix of all that i don't want to go too much into all of that anyway you know we we covered that but for you so then you when do you actually become a believer though like you know what paul's saying right so i got baptized maybe a i don't know nine months or ten months into the process um, mm. and it was really a matter of of, like I said, um, starting to read through the Gospels to see what they said about me. Yeah. And, and that did have a huge impact on yep. the way I saw myself. And um, 
and I'm sure that look, God, look, I never argued that somehow uh, our investigative ability leads us to the cross. No, God yeah. leads us to the cross. It's all yeah. God. It's God top down. I was going to ask you about it. that. Yeah. Yeah. But let's face it. We, we know that, that, that God doesn't even need us to evangelize. If yeah. there's an all-powerful God, he can just bring us all to himself in our sleep through dreams. Hmm. He doesn't need anyone to ever preach the gospel. He's yeah. God. But yeah. he allows us to preach the gospel for some purpose. And what I think that mm. does for us is that God is sovereign in that God is the one who flips the switch. And here's how I always put it, Brian. Yep. My son, David, would never, ever order a uh, mushroom pizza. And if, if ordering a mushroom pizza is what is required to be saved, he would never order it because he hates mm. mushrooms. He hated mushrooms as a kid. He's yep. different now, but he hated mushrooms as a kid. So I could argue and make a case for mushrooms. But yep. I'm telling you, I would order him a mushroom pizza. I, I would order like a mushroom <laughs> pizza and pull the mushroom off and say, it's a cheese pizza. And he would say, no, no, I can see the mushroom imprint. I'm not eating that pizza. So I know that that's how you got saved by eating a cheese a mushroom pizza. He would never, ever be saved. Yeah. But on the other hand, if somehow I could mm. miraculously remove his hostility to mushrooms, well, now I can make a case for mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And because his hostility has been removed, he's like, I'll try one. Yeah. And he orders the mushroom pizza. And voila, he is saved. It seems to me that yeah. what God does is he removes our hostility. Mm. So I can make a case for Christianity to somebody, but if God hasn't first removed your hostility toward yeah. God, your enmity toward God, yep. well, it's not going to go anywhere. And so we have to pray. And, and But I think what we do when we make a case is we are simply removing the barriers that people build between themselves and the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I had built a number of these. And my investigation simply helped me mm. to remove the garbage that was yeah. standing between me and the truth. And then when mm. I read the truth, it was available to me. It wasn't until I removed that doubt in my own mind by investigating the Gospels mm. that I was willing to read the letters of Paul and then go back and see, well, yes, yeah, this is what Jesus said. I mean, this is so clear now. Yeah. I see it differently than I saw it before. And so I think that's what we're doing when we talk about like Christian apologetics. We're really yeah. talking about removing garbage. Removing Which is what Paul did at Mars Hill. He went in, he said, yeah. you talk about the unknown God. I mean, so to most people, when I'm evangelizing, I'd say, well, you know, well, the real issue is sin. You know, what did God do? Did he create Adam and Eve? Was their color really a dark brown mm -hmm. off red? Did yeah. all of us come from Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, Japheth? Did yep. we all go out across the earth? Um, have you and I sinned? You know, do you know 100% of all people are going to die? including Enoch and Elijah one day. Um, and then after that, what did God do? Well, he appeared to Abraham a certain way, to Moses a certain way. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, you would say, you know, the Law and the Prophets. 400 years of silence, we get to the New Testament. Here's this Jesus that you were reading about. Here's this Messiah. What is the basics of it? Did God send his son a perfect sacrifice, always prophesied about, to live, die, resurrect 2,000 years ago? apparently you detective were telling me so and now the apostle paul is telling you why because you've sinned because you've fallen short of the glory of god and here's to answer how god saves jesus said to peter who do you say that i am right. you're the messiah flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you all of brian's study all of detective jim's study and um, i say it every episode john 3 nicodemus the spirit of god he's who yeah. opens the eyes you cannot see it so god did this work in you how did you take what was in your hand how did this mind did you just say i'm a christian i'm a detective i'm just going to write these books because 
most people don't come to faith because of study. They come to faith because they go to church or or God opens their eyes, and that's great. You know, that's the childlike faith of just I just got it one day. Yeah. But you yeah. came to it by pushing hard on the gas. Yeah. I didn't want to live. For those listening, I was suicidal, hated my life. God restored our marriage. Thank you. But I was trying to prove there wasn't a God because if there isn't a God, it doesn't matter what that guy on meth went and did that night. It doesn't matter what cases you solved. It doesn't matter yeah. about this silly okay. podcast. But if there's a God, why? So you just yeah. applied your life right away to ministry or? Yeah. Well, it took a little while. So so I I, I was right away, uh, my kids, I started going to church then. I started going regularly. Hmm. Now we're maybe eight months or nine months or 10 months into this process. And I got baptized. And by the time I was baptized for sure, I was attending church pretty regularly. Yeah. And that means our kids were attending. And so we ended up serving uh, our kids. We would go into the big church and our kids could have come with us, but we kind of felt like, you know, they're probably not catching everything we're talking about in the big church. Mm. Shouldn't we put them in children's ministry? Well, they didn't want to stay in children's ministry. So we would sit with them. One week it'd be me, one week it'd be my wife. And at some point they see you're there pretty regularly. They're like, hey, you want to serve in children's ministry? I'm like, well, I guess. I mean, if, I, you know, if I'm supposed to, because I'm sitting here all the time. So God is sovereign. Yeah. So I said, okay. So we, but then well, would you lead a class? Well, I don't know anything about Christian. I'm like, I'm in the system, not like a like ten minutes, right? I mean, really, I'm a ten minute Christian. You want me to lead a class? Well, we have we have curriculum. You just have to be one step ahead of these kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. I like so that. I started reading the curriculum, and so now a year after that, maybe two years after that, I'm in seminary, and uh, I, mm. I decided, hey, if I'm going to do this, and so I just followed my kids up. So they started off in like third grade. By the time they were in the fifth grade and sixth grade, I was the curriculum. I was basically the director of fifth and sixth grade. Mm. Now, I was in a huge church. Our, we had probably 500 plus fifth and sixth graders. Wow. So that was a lot of students. And we yeah. had five services. So we really had to present something in those services. So I was writing curriculum for those groups. I was maybe a two-year Christian at this time, but I was in seminary. Mm-hmm. And I was learning enough to be able to, to do that. You know, and We had some guidance. So it wasn't like I was on my own. And then by the time my kids were junior hires, I was working as a junior high pastor. And then I was the high school pastor. And then basically at the end of that, we planted a church. So I just followed my kids up through those years <clears throat> until they While were having college. a full-time job as well. Yeah. And I, and I still had a full-time job. I was all, this was volunteer or working 10 hours a week, Wow. Uh, you know, kind of like trying to, and by, by the way, I work four tens. So yeah. I would work 40 hours in three, in four days. Oh, so okay. I always had three days. So I could give you one 10 hour day and mm-hmm. still have two days off. <laughs> of course, you know how that works, right? Yeah. So you're basically working the other three days. So, because those three days are the weekend usually. So, yep. so here we are. So the point though was that I was able to kind of uh, juggle that and balance that. And that's how mm. we ended up serving in the church and taking steps. So I got my master's in theology at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary. And then from there, uh, I just, you know, I was, I wasn't, mm. I was, didn't write my first book until I was already. Uh, as a lead pastor, I was at the end yeah. of my lead pastor ter- uh, time. So it was probably, you know, it's a number of years. And that's probably smart, right? It's yeah. probably smart for God to protect you and give you little bits of it, of responsibility. I know. Until finally I was at a place where, and what, how it happened was we would take our students, our high school students on these immersive experiences. If we we're teaching theology, we would take them for a week to Salt Lake City. So mm. we encounter Mormons 
And, and my son, Jimmy, who attends your church, he yeah. was at the tip of the spear there. He, he, yeah. he, he did more Mormons missions trips than I ever did. Wow. And he was constantly uh, engaged in theology. It teaches you good theology if you're combating a heresy. And then mm. we would take our kids to Berkeley where they would encounter atheism. So we would do this every year, once wow. in the fall, once in the summer. And it was on a trip to Berkeley where I was with Sean McDowell, Josh McDowell's son. And I was taking his class, his yep. high school. He was a high school teacher at the time. And I was <laughs> kind of co-leading that class. And I was teaching the class while we were in Berkeley, kind of mm. you know, teaching them principles about the reliability yeah. of scripture. And he said to me, hey, why don't you write a book about this? That became Cold Case Christianity. Mm -hmm. So without Sean kind of uh, asking me to do it, I never would have done it. So yeah. I'm indebted to Sean to this day for that. That's amazing. So, and so this is all going on. You come to faith. God's doing all this. And then the newest book, Person of Interest, what is the difference with this and the other books? What do you, I'm saying this because believe me, I feel like everyone's always talking about revival, but revival is just you proclaiming the gospel and God waking souls. God wants to save mm -hmm. a lot of people at once. He will. But I say this because I think about my English or Australian friends. You gave them a book like what you just wrote, any one of your books, they would read it. They would read it because it's fascinating, like looking at Bigfoot, like talking about God. Like I tell people all the time, growing up in England when you sat around the fire, I mean, my friend who was on the other day from Alaska just said we would sit around and they would get stoned and they'd be like, what do you think about God? He would buy books to read because everything you're saying is going to turn people onto this. So person of interest, what is the focus? Obviously, Jesus, but what, what's new right. about it? Yeah. So we basically did the exact opposite of what I did in my first book, which is Cold Case Christianity. Mm. So in the first book, we're looking inside the Gospels, the New Testament, to see, can we trust what the New Testament says? What yeah. we're doing in Person of Interest is uh, imagining a world in which every New Testament has been destroyed. If you didn't mm. have a single Bible, a New Testament, uh, even if you destroyed all the Old Testaments, we don't have any Judeo-Christian wow. scripture. Yeah. What would you know about Jesus? Now, the, the, the strategy I'm taking is the same strategy you would take in a no-body murder. And so what I do in the book is I trace the no-body murder case, yeah. and I parallel it to the case for, for Jesus. So if you're interested in murder mysteries, this is kind of how the book is written. But what I do mm. in, in, in these no-body missings, now what that is, is like, let's say someone kills his wife, and he says to the police, oh, she ran away last night. We had an argument, and she ran off. She hasn't come back. So we take a missing person report. Mm. And then somehow that gets lost in the shuffle. And then years later, we return to it. No, she never came back. No, she never used a credit card. No, she never like tried to call her kids. No, this isn't a miss. This so is she's a gone. She's yeah, gone. She's, this, is, this is looking suspicious now. Yeah. But here's the problem. We never took it as a murder. We never photographed the crime scene. Mm. There was no photographs of that. He's now moved. They remodeled the house. And so now what do we have? We have zero. And we don't even have a body because he mm. got rid of the body. So now the question is, how do we work a case when you have zero in the crime scene? That's mm. kind of how you would work Christianity if you didn't trust anything in the New Testament. Yeah. So here's how we do this in criminal trials. We ask the question, okay, on the day that she went missing, something bad happened. So that's like a bomb went off. Well, every bomb is preceded by a fuse that burns slowly toward the mm -hmm. detonation of the bomb. And then mm -hmm. after the bomb goes off, you have all this shrapnel all over the blast radius. When we go into trial, we simply investigate the fuse and the fallout to demonstrate who the felon is. And mm -hmm. so that's what we do in this book. We say, is there a fuse of history and a fallout of history that'll demonstrate mm -hmm. the historicity and deity of Jesus even if you don't trust the New Testament and never read it. Well, mm. it turns out there is. As a matter of fact, 
I'm looking at aspects of history in the yeah. fallout that not only were incredibly unexpectedly and, un, and had uh, uh, Jesus had an unparalleled impact mm-hmm. on these aspects of culture, but also the, the, you could reconstruct the story of Jesus line by line from those aspects of culture. With no New Testament, with no, no scripture, so just so people know, just so people know, I want you to go back to this. It isn't like a bunch of Hebrews sat around and said, "You know what, Detective Jim, let's start with a rabbit, and you had a duck, and he has a snake." No, these were Hebrews. This was family. They were in a line. Three of them. One would write a word. The other would make sure it was right. They would record it. This was like what they did professionally. The Hebrew scriptures that God spoke through the prophets and were recorded. And mm-hmm. think about the first five books of the Bible. Moses talks about it's Moses who's recorded them. It's Jesus quoting, saying he recorded them. When Moses says in the beginning, Moses, you went there. You don't know what happened. Well, God is anointed, you know, set him apart for that. So we have all of these. This is all going on. Thousands of years, prophecies, Jesus. Thankfully, we have the Old Testament and we have the New. But you're saying outside of the Bible, skeptics, you could construct this story by looking at the world. So what are some of those things? Yeah, give you an example of this. Um, In unlikely places. So, for example, if you were to look at um, most of us as an atheist, there are things that I, I, my background before I became a detective. So my bachelor's degree is in the arts, mm. it's in design, and my master's degree is in architecture. And then I became a detective. So I worked in the arts <laughs> for a number of years. And the things that would have impressed me as an atheist were literature, mm. uh, visual arts, uh, music, um, education, yep. science. These were things I valued as an atheist. I think a lot of atheists value those things, especially in our culture. Well, it turns out those five things are not only so indebted to Jesus that they would not exist in the form that you experience them today without Jesus and his followers, Mm. because he initiated a worldview that became the catalyst for those five things. But not only that, you could find his fingerprints are so deeply over all Mm. of those areas of culture that you can reconstruct the story of Jesus from just those aspects of culture. So, for example, education. Yeah. Um, it turns out that uh, education as we know it, higher education and lower education as we know it today, is deeply indebted to Jesus and his followers. As a matter of fact, modern universities, if you're going to send your kids to mm-hmm. university, if you attended a university, you're indebted to Jesus and his followers because those modern universities would not exist had mm-hmm. not Christianity evolved a culture of education, people of the mm-hmm. book. Who, 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 Jesus doesn't say, yeah. go out and, and evangelize. He says, mm-hmm. go out and make disciples. Make disciples? <laughs> Teach them. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he initiates a teaching culture yeah. that ends up being expressed in the monasteries and then the cathedral mm-hmm. schools and then in three institutions yeah. at Bologna, Paris, and Oxford that mm-hmm. become the founding universities, modern universities that mm-hmm. gave birth to all the rest. Well, if you're just investigating that today, you're sending your daughter, let's say, to college, and you're like Googling what's the uh, top 10 yeah. universities in the world. Well, there's like four or five different sources for that. Okay, assemble all those. Well, you might end up with like 15 universities. Yeah. that are the top universities <laughs> in the world today. Guess what? They were all founded by Christians. Okay, mm-hmm. now send your daughter on a plane and go visit those universities all over the world. So yeah. you visit those universities all over the world and you realize, well, you know, the buildings, if you were had access to the buildings that are on the campus, mm. you will see verses and images 
of Jesus upon which you could reconstruct the story of Jesus just from the campuses of the top 15 universe. Now, look, those universities may not even proclaim Jesus anymore. Probably they don't. Like Elihu Yale and Harvard, Harvard, these other places, they don't proclaim Jesus anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you went, the buildings still do. So if you if you wanted to it's erase amazing. Jesus from the history of the world, you'd yeah. have to do more than destroy the New Testament. That's crazy. You'd have to crazy. destroy the top 15 university campuses. Wow. So it turns out that these are the kind of impact that Jesus has had. Now, look, I get this. I get that you could say, well, that doesn't prove that Jesus really lived. It proves his influence Jesus or something. God. Yeah. But I think if you'll read Person of Interest, or what I'm trying to do with this book, wow. and look, I illustrate it with over 400 illustrations because I knew that I'm a visual person. And Zonervan, the publisher, was, was gracious enough to allow me to build the stage presentations first, wow. which I gave around the country so I could kind of refine the messaging. And then I created visual illustrations that I drew for the book, over 400. So wow. it's kind of like a graphic novel. And if you read through it, you'll see that this kind of impact we're talking about, no human Mm. should have this kind of impact, especially a human who was born in some tiny little village (laughs) and then raised in another tiny little insignificant village Mm -hmm. who never traveled more than about 200 miles from where he was born, who never had a family of any wealth or stature, who never had opportunities and advantages that most people would have. In fact, he was uh, rejected by the religious people in his community. He was Mm -hmm. pursued and hunted by the people who were powerful. Even the people who supported Jesus Mm -hmm. were, for the most part, they ended up denying him or betraying him he never led an army led a nation he never wrote a sonnet never wrote a poem never wrote he's not that kind of person he never had a social media platform Right, no Twitter, it was only three no and a half years of ministry. He only did yeah, this only for three, three and a half years. He does it all. Then he ends up being falsely accused, mocked, beatily, bru- uh, brutally beaten, wow. and then executed. And then they have to borrow a grave to bury him. Yet that's the guy in the mm. first century. And by the way, in the book, I, I have a list <laughs> of all the other important characters in the first century that might account for the initiation of the common era. None of them Mm. had any impact on history. Yet this guy, this guy in this obscure village, this is the guy who changes all of history. Mm. Now, look, in the end, I think if you're just a guy, this shouldn't happen this way. But if you are the creator of the universe (laughs) who steps into creation, wouldn't you expect huge ripple effects once you step into creation? And that's exactly Exactly. what we see with Jesus of Nazareth. So I think there is a sense in which... Look, I've already talked about the stuff that's inside the New Testament. That's cold case Christianity. But the stuff that's outside the New Testament, that's person of interest. And I think in the end, uh, that case is persuasive. It certainly was for me. So I'm already thinking my personal story in there as well. I'm already thinking about, you know, there's a lot of taco shops down there by you, right? Mm-hmm. So if I come down and get you some Diet Cokes and tacos, I can take that copy and get it. I mean, it's <laughs> a that's person right. of that's, interest. That's right. I mean, no, no, I've, I've got to, we got to meet for lunch. I'll give you a yeah, copy for sure. I'm just saying, you know, it's when funny. When you say taco, it's, you're talking about tacos. You got to say it right, okay? Well, here's the if funny people thing. people are saying, hey, he's going to buy taco? Are they going fishing? My mom doing? came here and she called him a taco. And listen to this one, a quesadilla. <laughs> Can I get a quest, a, a quesadilla? A quesadilla. <laughs> Even yeah. you couldn't yeah, figure that true. one out. Well, first um, of all, you know how crazy English is, right? And 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 you're thinking to yourself, oh. well, how in the world can two L's be a Y? 
Or yeah, how, can, yeah, yeah. how can the word, you know, like T-I-O-N, shun, <laughs> how does that happen, right? Like, I don't get that. The, the back of, like, prediction. It's how definitely can T-I-O-N crazy. be shun? I don't get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you're putting this book out. Are you pastoring still now or you're just no. traveling? You've retired traveling? Yeah, yeah, so what happened was I knew when I, I tried for a while to, to spin both of these, to, to, to spin all those plates. Um, mm. But kind of like you, right? You get a chance to, to, to preach locally in your local church. Yeah. And the church says, hey, Brian, um, you're an amazing uh, preacher. We want you to be part of our communication to our people. But at the same time, you know that God has maybe gifted you for something. And so I, for me, mm-hmm. because I knew I had waited until I, I had no financial need and I had reined in my lifestyle mm-hmm. such that I could live on the retirement of a detective, which is not big. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that was really what allowed me then to yeah. do other things. And so, so now I'm not motivated by, I'm, trying, I'm looking at impact only. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, so what's the impact with the gospel I can have? So, so a lot of this drew drew me to, to conferences and to places where maybe people are not thinking about this, this way, Mm -hmm. like, like, and for, especially young people. So most of my work for like probably the the lion's share of my speaking engagements are high schoolers. Uh, That's amazing though. That's amazing that you get to after this life of, because I'll tell you, I say this a lot, but I'm kind of challenging a lot of what's happening in Christianity right now, not to be controversial, but I just think we get so distanced from the gospel. And I think there's just been this philosophical two or three decades of challenging everything that may have been said or may not. Did this word mean this? Did it not? All these well-spoken, charismatic people, whatever kind of camp you're in. And just to hear you say, making an impact, because what I feel like happens is, People get to 50, 60, 70, and they're theologians, so we just write theology books for the sake of it, but they're not always living out their own call, the gospel. The thing I regret the most, Brian, is that I spent, because people saw me as this guy who could make a case, who had investigated the case. So they would ask me to come and share the investigation with them. Hmm. And they wouldn't always ask me to come and preach the gospel, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what I regret looking back at the last eight years is that I didn't spend more time mm. uh, making time for the gospel. You could, like, all this could be true. The devils, yeah. the, the demons believe, yeah, they're not yeah. saved. They shudder. Yeah. They shudder, but they're not saved. So I, I don't want to have a head knowledge only. And I think you're right about that. I think that the, 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 the goal, is, so, so for me, yeah. I just think for young people, for Gen Z, that evangelism looks a lot more like apologetics than ever before. Yeah, because it's really about, and I always I wrote a book with Sean McDowell about this yeah. called "So the Next Generation Will Know." And really, what we're saying mm. there is, hey, we need to provide two whys for every what for this Amen. generation. Yeah. In other words, what is true about God? What is true about the gospel? What is true about your human nature? What is true mm-hmm. about your need for a savior? What is true about Jesus? That's yeah. all good. That's important. But, but the first, why is well? Why do you think that's true? Give me some reason mm. to hang. Because the, the culture is telling young people that if science doesn't affirm it, doesn't confirm it, it's mm. not true. And you want us to believe this thing, which really yeah. it seems to be opposed to a naturalistic yeah. view of the sciences. Well, mm. okay, great. So th- that's the first why. Why is it true? Second why. Okay, so you told me about Jesus, and you told me why you think the gospels are true. Why should I care? Yeah. That second why, why should I care, hmm. is a why that often as parents, we just don't provide our young people. 
Yeah. We assume they understand why this should care. It turns out if you're feeling a certain sense of loneliness as a young person mm. on your social media, a certain sense of envy and isolation, well, it turns out the gospel speaks to that. Mm-hmm. You know why you should care? You should care because it turns out that everything that you think is important uh, sits on the shoulders of, mm. of Jesus of Nazareth and the gospel and the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. But Christian worldviews say provide three answers. Yeah. How do we get here? Why is it so messed up? And how do we fix this? Mm. And the Christian worldview provides those three answers. You know, every worldview provides those three answers. Marxism provides three answers. Yeah. Atheism provides three answers. You name a worldview, it's going to answer those three questions yeah. differently. Yeah, but it turns out that the work. Christian answers will change your life mm-hmm. because it turns out that the Christian scriptures describe <laughs> the world the way it really is. So you're and saying people see that you're saying that that cop, that detective that sat in a car decades ago, excited for hours reading about Paul, is on a podcast today, missing out on some court stuff that he loves, just as excited about Jesus. Just yeah. as compelled. Isn't it crazy? I laugh because this book, yes, there's some kind of crude and filthy stuff in there. Not many crazy jokes. Not the things you would have laughed to before. But it's a book without pictures. That's 66, what? Books put together, many, yeah. many chapters, a lot of details that are seeking. But it fills you and, and just, just charms you. And you just hear God's voice in it and the That's Gospels. Right. And I just say that for anyone listening. There's going to be a lady that comes on in about a week called Jax. And she came out of like the occult world. And she followed all these things. She was actually on, you know, your friend, Elisa Childers podcast. Yeah, yeah. And she just posted a video the other night. I was just checking up on her. How's she doing? You know, she'll be on in a week. And she just said, you know, it was when I heard that he's the way, the truth, and the life. I'd read it all. I'd heard it all. I'd been in the occult. I'd known the Bible. But when I heard that again, for whatever reason that day, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, you're the way where? What's true about you? What is this life? You know, I was born in this world once, and then I'm going to die and face the second death, one birth, two deaths. Or I'm born, and then I become born again, and I only face one death, and I go to be with the Lord. And that's our prayer for those who are listening. Yeah. Open up that Bible. Go and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get my brother's book. Anything else you want to share with us? I know I've took an hour and 30 minutes in a time and all the halibut we're talking about and even mushroom pizza. We're probably getting yeah, pretty know, hungry. Right? But yeah. No, I appreciate it. Look, I, I think in the end, the most important thing is the gospel. Uh, mm-hmm. Look, if there is a God who has the power to create everything from nothing, Amen. then the most important miracle, and by the way, Science demonstrates this. We are in a universe that began to exist. Mm. We know this from the standard cosmological argument, right? The standard cosmological model that all Mm. astrophysicists, that most astrophysicists adopt, is that the entire universe, all space, time, and matter, came into existence from nothing. That means whatever caused, and by the way, Mm -hmm. anything that begins to exist requires a cause. Yeah. God does not begin to exist. He's always existed. Mm. He does not require. He's the one thing that does not require a cause. And if the universe requires a cause, whatever causes it has to be outside of space, time, and matter, because according to the science, there is no space, time, and matter until the universe begins to exist. Mm. So already, if you're scientifically minded and you're not somebody who believes in God, you already believe there's a cause of the universe that's outside of nature. Yeah. And if that's out there, if there's a, if that's a personal being, yeah. then any miracle you read on the New Testament is a small potato miracle. Amen. Okay, if there's a God who can create everything from nothing, he can probably walk on water. So get over it. 
<laughs> I mean, honestly, think about this in terms of what it means to mm-hmm. you. Yeah. If you don't have a sense of your own shortcomings, if there's a God that's that powerful, are you prepared to stand in front of him? Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. There's no way I could look, I I've got you know, there's stuff in my thought life, there's stuff in your behavior, there's times mm. in every day. If you think you haven't done something today that would mm. offend a morally perfect God, mm. you're probably not paying attention to what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are, you know that you cannot stand in front of that God. Mm. On the other hand, if if you've already came and paved a way for you so that he paid a price you cannot pay, Amen. So you can stand in front of him and he won't see you anymore. He'll see his morally perfect equivalent. He'll see his son. Mm-hmm. You might want to think about taking advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. In the end, this is not about trying to be in a good place, have him as a good person. Yeah, It's about being in front of a morally perfect God when you know you are not. Mm. How do we solve that problem of being separated from a morally perfect God? He's already given you mm. away. And by the way, yeah. it's so interesting. If you study other world religions, you will see that all of the world religions that are actively being uh, engaged in today, they make room for Jesus. Mm. If you're a Muslim, you've married, he's in your scripture. Yeah, He's a prophet more important than Muhammad, according to your scripture. Mm. If you're an Ahmadiyya uh, Muslim, you, uh, you already have a place for Jesus in your scripture. If you're Baha'i, there's mm-hmm. a place for Jesus. If you're a Hindu or a Buddhist, your religious leaders mm. venerate Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. How is it that Jesus is in all the world religions in one way or the other, but he makes no room for any other option in Christianity? Mm -hmm. It might be that he is the one true way that everyone has to hat tip, Mm. even if they don't believe he is the one true way. And you know, start with Jesus, you'll find yourself home. The Bible says without the shedding of blood. So it's not because, you know, we had a good podcast today. It's not because your son did or didn't eat, you know, um, mushroom pizza. It's not because of all these faiths. If you're a Muslim, you believe that Judas was on the cross at times. And no, it was Jesus who lived, died, resurrected for the sins of the world. And you might say, well, is God standing there shaking his hand at me? Well, God is a loving God. We ran out into the road. Death is coming to slay us. Jesus runs out and pushes us out the way. I love what you just said, you know. Do I believe there was a big bang? Well, I think it probably sounded more like a Prius and God was speaking beautifully. But I love saying, when you talk about the universe, do you realize what that word means? Uni and verse, single sentence. In the beginning, God spoke it all. Guys, the reason we're putting this podcast out is because God so loved the world, he sent his son. And Jesus, who was a fisher of men, caught some fishermen and others, raised them up, sent them out. They went across Judea, the Caucasus Mountains, England, Europe, around the world. Even one of the amazing things I thought you were going to say earlier was even how ancient Chinese um, lettering is based on Hebrew. It's based on Hebrew. What the sim- it, was, it blew my mind. I'll send you a video of that later. I'm sure you know. But the gospel went out. It's going out. It's going to reach the whole world. And all of us who hear it have an opportunity to respond, to believe, and to trust. It's a free gift. Ten feet away from me, I came That's to faith. Right. God restored my life. He restored my brother's life. And now we live in him. Whenever he takes us, we're invincible till that day. And thank you guys for all tuning in. But for you, detective and professor and all the rest of the things you told me about, and you're finishing up this book, how do people get a hold of you or follow you? Just because some people don't even like being called, you know, pastor this or that. But yeah. I want to point people to 
a website that can be trusted like yours, yeah, follow uh, you on social you know, and media. And I'm always sensitive to that too, Brian, because I feel like, I, I'm, I mean, yeah, nobody writes a book they want no one to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just, that's just, you don't do that. And um, I challenge you, Paul boasted in Christ. He wrote to Timothy yeah. twice and kept talking about his testimony. So if you're boasting yeah. in Christ, you know. I'm so. always uncomfortable with it though. So yeah. I, I'll just say, if you want to reach out to me, I'm at coldcasechristianity.com and person mm-hmm. of interest uh, is at person of interest book. Mm. com. So if you want to follow up and, and contact me at coldcasechristianity.com. We also have a kids academy, mm. which I really think that next generation, 8 to 12-year-olds, are really where people are making decisions. <laughs> Believe it or not, Amen. the statistics show mm. that 85% of Christians used to be Christians by the time they were 18. Now it's closer to 12. Wow. So it turns out that that glowing rectangle, I don't know where mine is here, this yeah. glowing rectangle ends up being the reason why most of us make decisions. And our young people have access to those by the time they're in junior high. So we have a, a website wow. called casemakersacademy.com. Mm. Look, in the end, it's not about Brian. It's not about me. It's yeah. about how can we reflect Jesus through us? Amen. So I, I just want to be sensitive to the idea that, yeah, we're in 2021. We record podcasts, yeah. <laughs> we make videos, and we write books. But God forbid that we that should become who we are. Mm. Who we are first is we are created in the image of God. Amen. And, and we are uh, basically sons of God mm. who want to, to glorify God. We want yeah. to be the salt and the light that glorifies God. So I just appreciate mm. the opportunity, Brian. Of course. And, you know, Luis Palau, great evangelist who yeah. passed away last year, he said, yeah. I heard him preach one of his last sermons, and he said, you know, some guy's going through this phone, and he's looking at boobies, and you show up, and you're talking about Jesus. <laughs> get, get him, Jesus. And he made the point, you know, I'm sure the Apostle Paul would have text the church in Corinth, put that dude out of the church messing around with someone's mother-in-law. So, right. but, but would you just, you know, in closing, um, just pray us out for whatever's on your heart, and then yeah, I'll close for sure. us. And, for sure, yeah. let's do that. For Thank sure. You. Thank you, Father, for just the opportunity yes, to use technology. This being used for all kinds of things, to promote all kinds of nonsense. Yes, Help God. us to use it to glorify you and we just thank you for the opportunity to do that and please keep us um, humble keep us invisible as the gospel is being preached let everyone see jesus and the things that we do we pray this in jesus name thank you so much amen well thanks for being here brother appreciate it so much i'm sure we could do this every week we're gonna get a chance to see each other so don't worry we'll see each other soon i know well guys thanks for listening first corinthians 118 the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing but to us who are being saved it's the power of god and listen to this way you can let people know i'm just thankful for the opportunity I am sitting here with all the fans turned off, sweating up a storm. But as long as it's in Jesus' name, we're good to go. And God bless you all. Thank you, brother. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it.